Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome you to... Wait a minute, maybe we better not welcome yet. Well, let's... New, new world order. That's a sound of music known worldwide. The NWO begins with music. And look, the world champion, Hollywood Hulk Hogan, Eric Bischoff, flying a Canadian flag. And what's with the Canadian flags? Well, they promised a huge announcement last week on Nitro. And look at the flags, the Canadian flags, in both of Hogan's boots. Did they buy Canada? People of Earth, how are you? Broadcasting live to tape from the new Society Show Theater in the most standoffish city in the world outside of Austria. Seattle, Washington. I'm listening. You're listening to a podcast of a world gone mad. This is the Society Show. You know, we're living in a society. On today's episode. Today, I am joined by my guest, Nick. So that should be great. We have a few things we're going to talk about. I have some prepared material that we're going to joke around about for a little bit. Then I'm going to, then we're going to transition to talking about the election for a little bit. We're also going to touch on uh, Palantir going public, the company Palantir. How it went and some other reports about Palantir that have come out. Uh, and how Peter Thiel's doing in general, uh, how what the Palantir going public means for the future, and we're also going to talk a little bit about gentrification. Uh, I'm using a story from Germany as a jumping off point about a Norwegian billionaire who just bought a bunch of properties in Berlin, how that'll affect gentrification, and how Berlin is a pretty good example of worldwide gentrification. There's a lot of gentrification there. It's very accelerated, but there's also a lot of resistance there. So we're going to talk about that. Maybe some more stuff. Uh, you'll see it's a pretty light and fun episode. Um, and so that's about that for this episode. I'm going to bring Nick on really shortly, but first... But first, but first, but first, but first, but first, 
But first, it is about 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but this is live to tape. So wherever you're listening, good afternoon, but also good evening, good morning. Uh, I'm really excited for this show. So without further ado, please welcome Nick. My eyes are getting weary. My back is getting tight. I'm sitting here in traffic. On the Queensboro Bridge tonight. This is the Society Show. My name is Christian, and my guest today is Nick. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Today, uh, I mean, it's the middle of October now. It's a October afternoon. It's very feels very crisp. Um, uh, wet in the air. I don't know how things are uh, for you right now in terms of the weather. Uh, it's very humid in Florida. Uh, it's cooling down a little bit, but it decided to be pretty, uh, pretty humid today. So that's what we're dealing with over here. Yeah, one thing, so how I was living in Philadelphia and now I live in Seattle, I mean, I grew up in the Seattle area, but I moved back, and uh, one thing in Philly, and I think a lot of the East Coast is when when it's hot, it's really, really humid, and when it's cold, it's really, really dry, and here it's kind of the opposite. Like, when it's cold, it's really wet, and when it's hot, it's dry. Yeah, I've kind of, I, I was kind of expecting, um, I was expecting summers to be really humid when I moved here, but I wasn't expecting, um, it's not that the, it's not that the winters are more humid, they're just also extremely humid, and so you deal with, like, the problems of cold humidity at that point, too. Yeah, that makes sense, because I, I don't, maybe you know about this, I'm not a meteorologist or anything, but there's a thing called the dew point, where... Uh, if a place has a low dew point, then it won't get too humid when it's hot because then the humidity in the air just turns to dew. Um, so like here in Washington, it won't really actually get very humid over 85 or so degrees. It'll kind of dry up. Oh my God, who the hell cares? Um, but uh, enough weather talk. That is <laughs> enough small talk. Um, how are just how are you in general, though? Um, you know, trying to keep busy uh, while uh, still locked up by myself in my apartment, waiting out a pandemic. Uh, uh, pretty much normal twenty twenty stuff, I guess. Yeah, that's a that's a great segue. I have. I wanted to do a segment about uh, YouTube comments that say a lot about society because there are a lot of funny YouTube comments, but uh, I wanted some that required, I think, a little commentary, and these are some that I've seen this week. So uh, this first clip is about the 2020 experience. It's a uh, it's it's called Hey Arnold Season 1 Clip 3. That's the YouTube video. And it's a clip from the Stoop Kid episode of Hey Arnold. Are you familiar with this episode? I am familiar. The legend of Stoop Kid. In the beginning, like so many of us, Stoop Kid was just a baby. A baby left mysteriously on the stoop of that very building. 
Some say he's abandoned there. Others say that he was dropped there from the sky by aliens. And still others say that he's in the seed lodge between the cracks of the sidewalk. Whatever the reason, lo and behold, Tiny Stoop Kid was left to raise himself on the stoop of which he was fated to call his home. And as he grew, he came to know and love his stoop as his only family. But there's also a dark side. Embittered by the love and normal boyhood that was stolen from him, Stoop Kid became meaner and meaner by the day. He began to lash out at the passers-by, taking out upon them the anger of a young, loveless child. He became so protective of his stoop that who so much as looked at it would face the wrath of the stoop kid. <laughs> yes, so uh, that will really help when I dissect these comments about it because I'm a little confused, but uh, they're also funny. So the chef... 5897 said we're all stoop kids now very relatable it kind of explains itself 2020 coronavirus we're all stoop kid right i mean pretty much i'm still afraid to leave my stoop <laughs> yes and uh some guy doesn't quite get it because he replies how and um, then, <laughs> then, then a guy named Luigi is God. This is the comment I want to zoom in on the most because uh, I'm a little confused. So Luigi is God says, afraid to leave our property. Um, and the reason I'm confused about this is it's very clear from the video that Stoop Kid does not own, he doesn't own the property that he sits on the stoop of. He is, uh, yeah, he's not, he's not a property owner. Um, most of us are not property owners at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Luigi's God is... Showing a bit of homeowner's privilege in the comment section here. Also, I love the idea of if you watch if you watch the clip that that's from, like it it explains like like it explains it better than that comment explaining it does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, do you have any speculation about what Stoop Kid? is for example some of the other comments on this video were speculating that uh stoop kid is some sort of middleman for a drug operation oh man uh last time i watched any of the show was extremely long ago so i don't know if i have any stoop kid speculation um but that's definitely like the the handful of things i think about when i think of hey arnold stoop kid's definitely there um, <laughs> yeah that's a classic episode I don't know, I'll have to go back and rewatch the uh, Stoop Kid saga. Yeah, and then, so I have uh, another YouTube comment. Um, this is for the song Ride Like the Wind uh, by Christopher Cross. Uh, are you familiar with that song? I am familiar. Yeah, it's a 
I I like it primarily because of Michael McDonald does the backing vocals in it. This version that specifically people are commenting on is the Disco Perfection remix, so uh, that's not as good as the original, in my opinion. Yeah, I didn't know if I was... uh, I don't know if I'd heard this version before. I definitely listened to it before this, um, just to get in the mood, but, um, you know, it's... I don't know, I've been on kind of like a... uh, kind of like a... Uh, yacht rock kind of vibe, some chill, mellow music. So it was, it was, it was hitting all right. Yeah, it's it's yacht rock, but not the pinnacles of the genre. It's no. kind of um, <laughs> I'm trying. Like, have you ever heard uh, what's the song by Bertie Higgins? Um, we had it all, just like. It's kind of like the lower level, more like shopping mall music version rather than the more uh, flashy version. But um, these replies I thought were pretty interesting. So uh, the first reply, I'm like an old white lady cooking and drinking wine, listening to this song, LMFAO. So, um... Do you have you ever associated this song or a song like it with an old white lady cooking and drinking wine? I don't think I have. If I think about it, if I think about a white lady drinking wine, I don't really have a soundtrack that comes to mind. But it definitely wouldn't be this. I don't think. Yeah, I think maybe, maybe for some, but uh, I guess. When I think about my mom, she maybe had a little bit of different taste because she was kind of a young mom, so she was more into, like, 70s and 80s hair metal, like Guns N' Roses (laughs) and stuff, so. Um, And my mom doesn't drink wine either, so. Yeah, same. I'm going to start commenting under Guns N' Roses videos that I feel like an old white lady drinking (laughs) wine and cooking. Yes, and so... um, uh, some of the replies to so this first one, I'm an old white lady cooking, drinking wine, and listening to this. Brilliant, isn't it? Uh, so it's pretty pretty cool that they found each other in these comments. Some of these other replies is, the next one is, Hell, I'm an old lady having some cold brews jamming on my porch, dot, 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 dot. <laughs> uh, and, and then the last one, uh, <laughs> the name is Jaapa, and it just says, I'm an old drunk, love this song. Uh, and the thing that I think is really funny about that is presumably all the commenters are... Um, old white ladies uh, considering what they're replying to but it's with each reply the person seems more and more drunk i love the idea that like 
all these people have connected and I kind of feel like when I'm old that I should just drink wine and listen to this song on whatever the uh, whatever the future version of YouTube is. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me I I look so hard for this YouTube comment. It might be gone. But if I remember right, it was on the song Right Down the Line by Jerry Rafferty. You know I need your love. You got that hold over me. Long as I got your love, you know that I'll never leave. And the comment was something of like, I went into a, a Denny's in so-and-so Utah uh, in 1965, and my waitress was f- like 16, <laughs> and uh, and uh, and then it's like long story short, we had 12 kids. This song's <laughs> for you, Lisa. And uh, I looked everywhere for it, but I couldn't find it. Oh man, that's a good one. I think my favorite, uh, my favorite music-related YouTube comment of all time. Um, was uh it was like a on a random like system of a down video and there was like uh some kid commented like i'm 15 and i was born in the wrong generation i wish i could have been around for this but it was yeah it's like a system of a down song (laughs) you know what will truly blow your mind i saw people commenting that that on lord music videos yes that rules (laughs) (laughs) yes um, and so this last one I wanted to talk about, it's not actually from uh, YouTube, but it is a video uh, with a comment section. Now, I don't know about you, but from my experience, some of the most uh, brutal and vicious posters online are patriotic Indians and Pakistanis who hate each other. Have you had this experience? I've run into it a couple times, yeah. <laughs> yes. So, um, this is a video from the Guinness World Records. They posted a video of an Indian guy and a Pakistani guy competing to break the most amount of walnuts with their forehead. And it's a pretty crazy video, actually, because... Uh, by the end, they just have these giant bloody welts on their head from breaking all the nuts. That's nuts! I I mean, good on them. This is not something I would ever consider doing, nor would I ever want to do. But, you know, some, I guess somebody's got to do it. <laughs> yes, yeah, so uh, they, there's a pretty interesting reply battle in the comments. This guy... Uh, he's the OP of the thread, and he really wants to keep the peace. He says, very tough to break it. Both per- both performed exceptionally, and the competition was great. Both deserve huge appreciation. Congratulations to Pakistan, and all the best to India. Uh, keep in mind, Pakistan won the competition. Winner! And uh, so he kind of tries to keep the peace, uh, tries to appeal to Indians. I think this guy was Pakistani, but he's trying to be polite. Um, the One of the first replies is someone simply saying, India is better. Uh, he was replying to someone else in the thread, but it, that comment had been deleted. So it's just replying to someone, India is better. 
He's better than my real pet pet. And the OP says, please don't comment like that. Instead of bringing people of both countries together, comments like that become reason of fighting and hatred. We want peaceful South Asia. Uh, so I really appreciate this guy's intentions, but uh, it didn't really work very well. I mean, I think if we if we can't find peace in the comments to the uh, walnut head cracking video, I mean, that's really a problem. Yeah, because immediately after is when it starts getting uglier. So one guy uh, replies to the Indian, the patriotic Indian, who said India is better and says, that's what an Indian would say. But a dude who is Pakistani will say that, no, Pakistan is much better. And it is. (laughs) (laughs) And... (laughs) Um, and then the OP comes in again to try to keep the peace. But this is a comment that led me down a rabbit hole. Another uh, Pakistani guy um, brought out a really big diss. So he says, India is better, same as Abhinandan was better that day. Abhinandan, who did nothing, but still he is your hero. Ha ha ha. Uh, so. <laughs> Had you ever heard of Abhinandan before this? No, this is the first, my first encounter. <laughs> yeah, so uh, apparently he was in the Indian Air Force. I got this off Wikipedia. And during a the 2019 India-Pakistan standoff, he was held captive in Pakistan for 60 hours. So uh, what he's most famous for is he has a really distinct mustache. Uh, The mustache on Wikipedia is not the one that he's known for. He basically has a very large mustache that connects to his mutton chops. And after he was uh, held captive this became a very popular mustache style in india have you ever seen an indian guy with a mustache like that no i, ju- I just looked it up that is that is that is a mustache right there <laughs> i've not seen that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's the type of facial hair you definitely would not be allowed to have in a lot of countries military they'd be like no you have to shave that <laughs> <laughs> wow i don't know maybe maybe i should maybe i should go for this look it's, it's kind of working yeah i i don't know it's it's a bit much if <laughs> i'll describe it one last time before we wrap up the segment and kate for the listeners at home he basically has really long mutton chops that go almost to his chin and then a really big mustache that connects to the mutton chops. Um, and with that, I suppose that's the end of my uh, segment on YouTube comments. Um, and then I uh, have a, a top 10 list. So I started this segment last week. I'm trying to polish my writing chops, my comedy writing chops. So these are my top 10 Least popular Halloween candies. 
I'm about to bust. Honestly. <laughs> yeah, boy. Clap if you don't prefer to see yourself naked. Tonight's top ten list, sponsored by J.C. Penny. When it fits, you feel it. Number ten, Werther's Originals. I love the young people. Number nine, Valentine's Day Heart Candy. Number eight, a can of Diet Pepsi. I'm going to go on record and say I would appreciate the can of Diet Pepsi. <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> I, wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't turn that down. Uh, number seven, an unripe banana. Number six, candied corn. And I just imagine like a spoonful of candied corn. I'm not exactly sure what candied corn is, but uh, I know it's not candy. But is it corn? It is, it is <laughs> corn. It's it's when you like caramelize corn, I think. Okay. <laughs> uh, I can't say I've ever had that, but I'm I'm actually curious now. Yeah, like candied yams, but with corn, maybe I don't know. It is a thing. I looked it up. Uh, uh-huh. Number five. A single unwrapped pop tart. Just just thinking about receiving an unwrapped pop tart, and you know the the whole unwrapped uh, potentially dirty food aspect aside, I'd be really tempted to want to eat the pop tart, even though my brain would be telling me not to. <laughs> yes. Um... This next one is actually a a bit of an autobiographical one. Number four, an unlabeled bottle of aspirin. This actually happened to me when I was a kid. I'm I'm not positive if it was aspirin, and I don't remember how it got in my candy bag, but I remember getting home, pouring out my candy all over the floor, and there was a little unlabeled pill bottle, and it looked super old, like... The label had been, like, <laughs> worn over time, not like it was removed. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> what did you do with it? Just immediately throw it away? Yeah, my mom did. I think I was only, like, eight, maybe seven. So uh, my mom just swiped it immediately. <laughs> but... You, you could have been like, you could have been like a news story at that point. I <laughs> like, know. Yeah, it was. And also, so that was around the same time. I don't know if you've heard this story and I don't know much details, but around my hometown was the fir- one of the first cases of someone tampering with medicine in a uh, in a pharmacy and uh, putting poison in it in my same like around my hometown but it's weird that someone didn't think to poison medicine at a pharmacy until like the late 80s yeah it seems like poison poison technology should have advanced a little sooner than that um, I forgot that that yeah, I forgot that was up near your area. Like I I knew about all that, but I forgot it was it was that way. Yeah, there was another um, incident in Chicago around the same time. But there is actually an episode of Forensic Files about the lady in Washington who uh, poisoned. After Bruce Nichols' death, 
the coroner mistakenly ruled that it was due to natural causes, a mistake which deprived Stella of an additional $100,000 of life insurance money. Stella needed an excuse, some reason to have her husband's autopsy tissues re-examined. So she decided to poison someone else, to create the impression that a cyanide murderer was on the loose. She placed three more bottles of cyanide-laced pain reliever on the shelves of two stores near her home. Someone in the Snow household purchased one of those bottles. I think a lot of people who want to poison people don't want to just poison random people who go to uh, Rite Aid or something. They want to poison a specific person. But yeah, you anyway. Have to, you have to just be like completely like... Completely unhinged, just the point of I just want to cause destruction. When you know most people with poison are they have a specific target, not a yeah, not your your random your random mom who's going to just buy a bottle of Tylenol. <laughs> yeah. Um. So uh, number three, gamer girl bathwater. Now is this is this uh is this the valuable gamer girl bathwater or is this just a gamer girl's bathwater um yeah that's a good point it could actually be valuable it might be the most valuable thing on this list um yeah i, I think it literally is <laughs> <laughs> number two gas station boner pills our dad had taught us not to be ashamed of our dicks. And number one, the worst, the least popular Halloween candy, Twizzlers. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna disagree with you there. I think that the, uh, I think I think that at least I think that at least the unlabeled bottle of aspirin is worse. <laughs> Do you like Twizzlers? Um. Actually, sometimes I don't mind them. Um, they're not like a favorite or anything, but uh, I don't know. I wouldn't. I wouldn't turn them down if I if I received them on Halloween. Um, I mean, to be honest, I'm kind of the same. But it's just I wanted the number one to be an actual candy, and so I thought of the candy yeah. <laughs> that I like dislike the least. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think that, I I mean, I think the, the ideal scenario is you pop the boner pills, chase it down with the gamer girl bathwater, and then you eat the Twizzlers. I think like some of these can work together. (laughs) You drink the bathwater. You got to just chug it at that point. (laughs) I'd prefer the diet Pepsi. I mean, that's, that's the safe option, but the, the most, uh. If we're, if we're going actually okay, so so the safe option is you pop the boner pills, chase it down with Pepsi. The the um the more the the the, the cooler uh, more interesting option is you pop the possible aspirin, chase it down with the bathwater. <laughs> yes, a potential death sentence. You got to be living on the edge. <laughs> yes. And uh, before we start talking more specific about news, uh, I do actually have a little quiz for you if you uh, want some quiz questions. All right, let's, let's see how this goes. 
So since it's the election season and after this quiz, I don't have it in the notes, but uh, I do briefly want to touch on the election. But uh, for this quiz, um, I do want to talk about I will read a quote and you will guess which losing presidential candidate said it. So it doesn't go further back than um, about Jimmy Carter or so. And I will say I am including Jimmy Carter and George H.W. Bush, even though they won a presidential election, they also lost one. So uh, you will guess who said these quotes. Does that make sense? Sure. And it's it's of it's of candidates who lost, like who went into the general election and lost. Yeah. So you'll have a choice of two. So okay. it's a, it's either or. It's not like you have to guess completely out of the blue. Okay. I'm going to be terrible at this. Let's go. Number one, who said, I can bring to a classroom a wealth of information because I have been there. Was that Michael Dukakis or was that Al Gore? Uh... You know what? I'm going to go with Gore because I think it would be funnier. That was Michael Dukakis. Number two. Something is wrong with America. I wonder sometimes what people are thinking about or if they're thinking at all. Did Ross Perot say that or did Bob Dole say that? Perot. No, that was actually Bob Dole. I'm very good at this. <laughs> this next one uh, refers to some specifics as opposed to the other two are kind of vague. There is some indication, and I don't have the conclusions, but some of this anthrax may, and I emphasize may, have come from Iraq. Did John McCain say that, or did Hillary Clinton say that? Oh wow. Uh. Once again, I gotta go. I gotta go funnier. I gotta say Hillary Clinton. That is a good guess, but it was actually John McCain. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm following my heart on these. My, heart, my heart's leading me down the wrong path. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this next one. This is question four. At least when Ronald Reagan rode off in the movies into the fiery sunset, he didn't take us with him. Was that Walter Mondale or was that Michael Dukakis? Hmm. Let's go with Mondale. You are correct. That was Walter Mondale. Question five. This is a pretty funny quote. I've looked on many women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. God knows I will do this and forgives me. Did John McCain say that, or did Jimmy Carter say that? 
Carter. <laughs> that was, in fact, Jimmy Carter. <laughs> um, this next one. I have some great friends that are NASCAR team owners. Did John McCain say that, or did Mitt Romney say that? <laughs> uh, Mitt Romney. That was Mitt Romney. So you're picking it up at the end. Um, this is question seven out of eight. <laughs> this one's funny. So this person said, while watching a robotics competition, who said, quote, it's like WWE, but for smart people. Was that George H.W. Bush or was that Al Gore? Uh, I gotta go. I gotta. I gotta try. I gotta try my luck on Gore again. No, that was George H. W. Bush. Gore's Gore's letting me down today, big time. <laughs> yeah, sadly. And the last one. I hope, Mr. President, that we can pass a law that criminalizes flag burning and desecration. Did Hillary Clinton say that, or did Mitt Romney say that? Uh, uh I, I feel like I don't feel. I don't know. The problem is, I think this one could go either way. Uh, let's go with. No matter what I, well, no matter what I pick, I'm feeling bad about the choice. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna say. Clinton. That is correct. Hillary Clinton did say that. Like in, in in my head, I'm like, that sounds absurd, but I also can can picture that one. So yeah, there we go. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago either. It was, I think, in the mid two thousands. Of course. <laughs> so why do good girls like bad guys? I have this question for a real With all that being said, all of my pre-prepared material, do you want to, um, we're going to talk about Palantir, uh, we have some other stories we could get to, but, uh, before we get into that, do you have any preliminary thoughts about the election, anything related to it, like Trump having COVID, anything like that? Um... I don't know. I I was riding this I was riding this really big high last week over everybody getting COVID, but that's kind of that's kind of trailed off a bit. Trump's recovering. Um, I guess we're still waiting to see about Chris Christie, but um, and then also I was kind of looking forward to the next debate, but that seems to be canceled. So I don't know. We're kind of in a little bit of a lull as far as interesting things going on. Um, I kind of I was looking forward to. Um, I guess I knew Trump was never going to do it, but I really wish they had done the uh, the uh, like Zoom debate where they could where they could mute people when they weren't supposed to be talking because I think that would have been pretty amusing. But <laughs> yeah, although the thing I kind of wish they do with the debates because obviously the debate format is kind of broken, but I almost wish they just de-emphasize the moderator like if trump turns it into total shit then 
uh, like, so be it. Like, I'd almost rather uh, just... Because they're looking for a way to change it. I'd almost rather they prefer just eliminate some of the structure rather than add to the structure. What do you think of that idea? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I mean, I think that the only... I, I mean, I don't know. I, I kind of don't... I kind of don't think that the the format itself is even particularly relevant anymore because like anything they anything they say like you're already aware of and like you can go to their website if you care about but like that that last debate there was no actual real policy talk there was like the whole like the whole thing the commentary on it everybody's takes on it all revolved around like debate decorum and who's talking over who so like what they're actually saying doesn't matter so I think if you just like if you put the two of them you put the two of them in a big room together and you're like, all right, you have 90 minutes, whatever happens, happens. There are no questions. Go for it. It would probably tell you more than than a regular debate would tell you. Yeah, or at least, you know, maybe be like, the topic is this, and then in a half hour it changes or something. Like, that, maybe that level. But uh, I also think about when I was in high school, I did debate. Did you ever do debate when you were growing up? No, I had to do a couple, like, debate assignments in classes, but I was never on, like, a debate team or doing anything like that formally. Yeah, there was... So the type of debate I did mostly, it was called Lincoln-Douglas, and it was the type of format that Abraham Lincoln used or whatever, and uh, honestly, I don't get why... So the format is basically one person affirms a position, and they offer values, so they'll be like, I value justice, and the way that you measure justice is X or Y, and that is why I affirm this position. And the other person has to be like, well, I value equality, and uh, the way I measure equality is through this. And um, so it's like a, a type of debate about comparing values and like who best attains values. So it's not even a policy debate, but... I just wish they added some sort of, like, theoretical framework to it like that, where it's like, we are literally debating values and how to attain values, rather than just, like, you know, like, there's no framework for the current debates. It's just talking. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that kind of touches on, like, the idea that, <clears throat> I mean... Yeah, because they have, like, talking points, but the talking points change all the time, and then, I mean, really based on what lobbyists are telling them to say, but there, there's no, like, there's no, like, actual guiding principles, because, like, none of them actually stand for anything, they just are, like, a weird conglomerate of a bunch of corporate decisions, and yeah. you let them loose in a debate, and that's pretty much where we're at. Yeah, like, I could respect a politician, even if they're have a lot of crappy views in the sense that if they just be like I value this and for me that that value is obtained by doing this and this like then I know exactly where they are but uh it just I mean you you know we all know it just seems like PR talk it's that's not news to anyone yeah for sure I mean I could tell like the one I mean, perhaps like the one, uh, the one takeaway from the last debate for me, and when I say last debate, I'm talking about, um, you know, I'm talking about Trump Biden because I did not watch the VP debate, but um, the, like the one, the one takeaway for me was, oh wow, Biden's really been coached on like social justice talk and like how to talk about those things wokely. Like 
Like, you could tell, like, they sat him down in a room, and they were like, all right, here's the things you need to say. Here's what you can't say. You know, you can't be going off doing your thing. You, you have to say, like, these particular words. And so it's like, I, I, didn't, I didn't leave, like, feeling like he really believed those values. I left feeling like, oh, his, his team of handlers realizes that he needs to be woke now because he, you know, he's, he has a history of some semi-problematic gaffes um and so it's like it's like okay yeah so like that is that even a value that he affirms or is that just the campaign prep um so that's kind of the vibe that i'm that i'm left with with even 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 the stuff they say that's that's uh potentially semi-decent yeah i totally agree and so uh overall who do you think's gonna win what do you think's gonna happen with the election I here's the thing like I, I'm not I'm not really a gambler at heart because I, I always I always am bad at this because initially I, I would have said Trump's gonna win I like them all however him get, so him him getting COVID kind of throws a wrench in all that because it either makes him a more appealing candidate or less depending on how they spin it also Biden pulled the very weak move of like removing all negative uh campaigning which was the opposite of what i would have done i would have gone harder on that but i don't know i feel i feel terrible predicting this stuff because like i mean we saw last election that you know polling and stuff doesn't necessarily <laughs> give you the give you the proper uh, or the the real outcome and it's so it's so chaotic and i think that you know I, I would like to think that Trump has made a decent amount of enemies, but I also I don't know if he's if he's made enough enemies to change anything. So I it's really up in there. Like I really wouldn't be surprised either way. Like I think I think rationally I assume that Biden probably would win, but I also deep down I kind of just assume Trump's gonna win again. I I don't know. I don't really have a clear read on it right now. Plus like every day every day is like a full month, so we're gonna live like five lifetimes before the election anyway yeah i think if when if i really had to stake my flag down what i think will happen is i think joe biden will win and i will say about the polls like he is so you know last election shows we can't really trust the polls on some level but at the same time i think there what you know what ended up happening with the election was within the margin of error and when, when that margin of error is applied to like key states uh that would completely flip the electoral college it, it's like i guess i interpret it more as it's an issue of statisticians who um are overconfident in their reading of the data uh, rather than the data itself. So I guess I'm saying, like, I still have some trust for the polls. I just have a lot less trust for people interpreting them. So I do think Biden will win the popular vote, and and there will probably be some effort from the Trump campaign to undermine it and make it look as... illegitimate as possible but uh i'm not sure how effective that'll be i guess we'll have to see yeah i think i i think i agree generally if if i had to like put money down on an outcome that's probably how i would go at this point um 
Biden kind of squeaking a victory out, and then um, which which actually ends up probably being the funniest result because the Trump campaign will probably go uh, to to unseen unseen levels to try to discredit all that. But that seems that seems like a pretty likely outcome at this point. Yeah, definitely. So uh, you want to start talking about some of this Palantir stuff? Yeah, sure. Let's get into it. Okay, so. Uh... A couple episodes ago on the Society Show, I, f- I think it's three episodes ago now, I formally denounced Peter Thiel and any of his associates who are, uh, you know, disseminate ideology for him. And that was the start of the official Society Show denunciation <laughs> list. Uh, I may add more on the future, but I was... Uh, I was ready to uh, start it with him. So uh, then there's been some news stories. Basically, we can start. Uh, Palantir going public did not go well. Uh, and so here's a quote from Forbes explaining kind of why it didn't go well. They said Palantir chose a direct listing rather than a traditional offering, which means that the company did not raise funds for itself by selling shares. Instead, existing shareholders were able to sell and liquidate their shares on the open market. Uh, so I guess that kind of explains w- um, why it may have not done conventionally well. But do you understand the difference between this? Because I kind of have a, graf- or a grasp on it. But uh, do you have any more insight? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit. So apparently this is like a new thing that hasn't really been done too much before. Um, apparently Spotify did this and Slack maybe like two, like two kind of modern tech companies. But so, so far I think there's only been four companies that have done this. Um, so it's like very not traditional and I was trying to read up a little bit more on it. It seems like there's a lot of I mean, there's been a lot of sort of chaotic stuff. Like, they've had trouble, like, even rounding up all the people who currently have shares. And there's been, like, glitches in the software of people that were trying to sell their shares. Um, there's been, I don't know, it's kind of it's a back and forth, but a lot of people are, like, not super confident with, with how that rollout's been going. Um, I'm not going to I'm not gonna pretend like I, like I fully understand um, all the ways that this differs from a traditional... IPO, um, but yeah, it just seems like it's a, it's a very, very, uh, very like Silicon Valley tech thing to do because only only four companies that are all like tech companies have have tried this. Yeah, so yeah, not only was this a unique thing, but it was also compounded with other issues. So from CNBC, they wrote that. The stock traded as high as 11.42 before closing at 9.50, and it started at 10. So uh, the current and former employees were texting with each other about the problem and complaining of their inability to sell. One former employee followed up with CNBC to say the system finally started working late in the morning Pacific time. So, yeah, it didn't end up going well. But uh, the thing that I really want to talk about about this in general is I guess maybe I should uh, 
should have researched it more or track someone uh track someone down in the future who's like a financial expert because most of this stuff is very esoteric to a normal person who doesn't trade stocks but even if this wasn't that successful, I feel like there is some reason that they chose to sell them this way and different tech companies are selling this way. And I just don't really know what that reason is or what impact it will have. But Peter Thiel is extremely crafty and I've talked on this show before how he's motivated by an ideology that wants to basically turn the state into uh, a uh, giant corporation almost like that's his worldview so yes. um what what do you think the the impact of this going public uh will have on this sort of synthesis between state and private capital um okay so my my initial reaction to this um this type of um public offering was it almost seems like it almost seems like they want to like have their cake and eat it too. Cause I know like the, the, the objections that have been raised to, to Palantir in general and some of the uncertainty about this offering is that we still don't know a lot about how this company works. Like we don't know who has the shares or like what kind of powers the shareholders have. Um, because it, it, it's, it's a company that's kind of meant to be a, like a, a shadow organization that's mysterious, but then they're also trying to be a public company, which then opens you up to certain, um, uh, certain levels of transparency that are expected of you. Um, I found, I was Googling around and I found, um, apparently, uh, apparently AOC had like, um, raised some questions about it. And there's a lot of really suspicious stuff in the, just like in, in all the, the history of, sort of their financial dealings. I know somebody on the board like got a loan that they haven't paid back but like repaid it in stocks instead of cash and like nobody knows what the loan's for. And there's like a different level like the like Teal and the other the other big dudes have like certain powers and, and the whole thing sounds like very not transparent, which is sort of what I would assume the opposite would be for taking a company public. Um yeah, so I don't I don't I don't really know. I, like like you, I also I also don't trust anything that he's involved with. Um, and obviously, this company itself is a, a pre pretty dystopian. Yeah, and Peter Thiel himself has characterized uh, corporations as monarchies or private dictatorships. Like they function with a sort of. Uh, all-encompassing leader who uh, represents the totality and everyone's working for that leader's goals, uh, which is definitely an accurate way to portray a private company, but it's just interesting that he's so uh, obliquely aware of that and uh, trying to accelerate towards that because he knows that's how he'll have more power. Like, I don't think most most capitalists are that um far future motivated and uh they're very short term motivated like what will get me the most profits now but peter thiel is trying to shape a world where people where him and people like him are uh uniquely in power more than anyone's ever been in power you know yeah i agree i think that yeah like for a lot of other a lot of the other 
kind of rich capitalist class. They're kind of just, you know, they're kind of just some bros who they like making money and they, they want more, you know, they want more money and like more status in that regard. But yeah, with, with, with Teal, I definitely get the sense that like his ultimate goal is not wealth. It's not, you know, prestige of a company or market share. Like he has like very specific, like you were saying, like ideological goals. Like he, he wants essentially political power through this like libertarian move away from from government being the governing power towards corporations being the government power um yeah i, I yeah like I, I don't trust his uh i don't trust his business moves to be solely about business in any way yeah and that kind of brings me to so uh the day before Palantir went public, BuzzFeed published a big thing about the Palantir program used by the LAPD. It's very extensive, uh, and it's very similar to, I've talked about this on the show before as well, it's Clearview AI, the facial recognition company. Um, Palantir offers basically similar things where anyone with a California driver's license uh, can be pulled into the Palantir database and it compiles like what BuzzFeed writes, 1 billion pictures taken of license plates from traffic lights and toll booths in neighboring areas. And it says, if you've driven through L.A. since 2015, the police can see where your car was photographed, when it was photographed, and then click on your name to learn all about you. So uh, this this kind of speaks to what we've been talking about, where Palantir, this is the type of technology or this level of surveillance control over your life that is normally reserved in the past to a state apparatus and uh now it's kind of like a, a private like a private capital a privately owned company operating in the way that the state used to be so it, i really see the way we're progressing towards the future that peter Thiel wants Exactly. Yeah, and also that like the service is just so expensive to use. So um, I don't I don't remember if it was that one or if it was something else I read, but um, but like L A was like using like got like federal grant money for something and was using and it was using that money to to pay for this because it's extremely expensive to even have access to all the databases. So we're essentially we're essentially kind of like funneling public taxpayer money into a private corporation for access to all this stuff. Yeah, definitely. And uh, it, it really is. So the contracts that the government uses, those are like, those are knowingly inflated. Those are designed to be ways to pump ostensibly public money from the government into private companies that's the same reason when they passed the cares act for coronavirus relief it, it involved giving so much money from the the 
treasury or bank or whatever directly to companies rather than circulating it as money first like they're cutting out the middleman and just being like here's free capital for you yeah they're like we're, we're not even gonna like pretend like we're gonna stimulate the economy by giving money to people we're just gonna here just just take it you don't even you don't even have to do anything for it just there you go <laughs> yes and um I think we should uh, aim to wrap up in a minute, but I was wondering if you wanted to talk about this story I have here about uh, uh, gentrification in Berlin. Uh, I wanted to talk about this for a few reasons. Basically, um, Berlin has been kind of the site, like the, the focal point of gentrification, especially in Europe. Because after the 90s, it became, when it was reunited, it became an artist city, very much so. It was very cheap. Then it quickly gentrified, and now it's probably the most expensive city in Germany. But it's also unique because it has a very extensive anti-gentrification network. Uh, And because of that, I think the things that happen in Berlin... Uh, in terms of urban politics uh, is indicative of other things to come. So um, to get into it, uh, Deutsche Welle, which is like a German newspaper, said that a Norwegian billionaire, Ivor Tollefsen, is buying thousands of apartments in Berlin. And the anti-gentrification activists are very skeptical of the comp his company Heimstaden, um, because Berlin, like I said, is already extremely expensive, and there's currently a five year rent freeze that they think he's trying to evade. Um, so, do you have any thoughts on maybe not Berlin, maybe not Germany, uh, unless you do have thoughts? But I guess gentrification in general, uh, politics related to gentrification. Um. Yeah, I mean, first of all, in regard to this story, like, I definitely think he's playing the long game and trying to wait out the five-year freeze on that. Uh, especially yeah. the like, the like, don't worry, we're gonna we're gonna be uh, we're gonna be good. Uh, I'm not gonna sign anything, but just trust me. Um, yeah, I I definitely wouldn't wouldn't trust him in that regard. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not uh, I'm not knowledgeable enough on the mechanics of gentrification necessarily to like have too much of an idea of how to even combat it um but uh it's i don't know it's never fun i mean the area the area i'm living um at least for a little while longer is even like the couple years i've been here is like noticeably gentrifying um because everybody wants to like move into a cool area and then immediately kill everything that's cool in that area yeah gentrification it's kind of like it's a thing where almost no matter what you do it can't be resisted Uh, for example so when i lived in portland because i lived in portland from about 2010 to 2016 and up in north portland they were going to build a trader joe's in a traditionally black neighborhood and activists resisted it and basically stopped the Trader Joe's from being built. But the thing is, 
that neighborhood, by the time they resisted the Trader Joe's, it had already basically been gentrified anyway. Like, that part of North Portland, there are not very many black people living there anymore. Most of them have moved out, like, deep into East Portland. So it's almost like... Even if the Trader Joe's was built, then it it would have gentrified just the same. And the fact that it wasn't built, it was built somewhere else that also gentrified. Uh, so I, it seems like a problem that you can never really stop, even if you plug one of the holes of it. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. That's the the thing is that it, it always feels like this sort of unconquerable thing because then like to avoid gentrification you're like all right i'll go somewhere that's not gentrified and then that part you know is gentrified and then there's somebody else somewhere else that boy starts gentrifying so i don't know uh yeah it, oh, i was just gonna say i do have, i do have to say though that um from the berlin story like being being an being an american it's always it's always uh it's always mind blowing what kind of uh, what kind of rights people have in other countries as far as like being a tenant and stuff, you know. Because like here, it's like you get nothing and there's no protection. You know, may God have mercy on your soul. But in Germany, there's like, hey, we have we have some laws at least. Um, I don't know. I just think it's uh, interesting. Yeah, definitely, and. Uh... There's also another thing that's going on that I didn't really leave any notes about this, but it's something I talked about on the show recently, how there's actually, largely because of coronavirus, but also because of uh, other factors, the economy, I guess, a lot of people are actually moving out of the most expensive cities, not only in the U.S., but in other countries as well, like... Mm -hmm. A lot of people are leaving New York City, San Francisco. Um, do you think there's going to be a sort of kind of like in the 70s when the, the urban cores were uh, decayed in favor of the suburbs? Do you think a similar thing is going to happen or do you think we're just going to that it's just a little blip and gentrification is going to continue head on? Um, I mean, I don't know. I think it comes down to, I mean, how, how long it takes to get stuff under control, you know? Cause like if we can, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I don't know enough about all the COVID research to have a reliable prediction, but you know, if, if we can get a vaccine and get stuff, you know, relatively stable, you know, in a reasonable time frame, I, I don't think it'll cause any massive long-term, uh, changes, but I think that, um, kind of the longer, that even if we live even even if we find a way to kind of reasonably live during a pandemic where we're still having to avoid gatherings and stuff if that goes on a really long time i i can see i can see some more long-term emptying out of the cities because you know in a place like in a place like new york or san francisco or wherever has like super high rents you know if you're living there and paying rent you're you're currently facing all the downsides of living in a in a big city you know mostly the small living spaces high prices but you have none of the upside because like all the all the cultural points all the stuff to do the job opportunities all that stuff's kind of gone right now um and the flip side of that is like for businesses like so many 
like unless you're a huge multinational corporation like all those businesses are shuttering up so even even when we do bounce back from that like all those all the all the little little places are going to kind of be gone so i don't know i think i think it really does depend on that time frame we're dealing with because like if we have to like modify our behavior for a significant amount of time there's just going to be an entirely new essentially a new like world like a new urban landscape that we have to adapt to and i have no idea what that's going to be like i mean the the cynic in me is like well all the all the small shops closed down you know everything is a starbucks and a mcdonald's now and i don't know probably i mean i don't know at that point people probably will just stay in the suburbs yeah, I think one thing that could end up happening, and I'm still projecting this as a potential dystopian future, I think a lot of, for example, there was already a story recently about how a mall started using some of its space to uh, for Amazon uh, package sorting, and I think a lot of store uh, retail spaces are going to close, and those will be replaced by... Uh, distribution centers but also i imagine in the future malls will be completely stripped of any retail or conventional retail and turned into little living compounds with pods and you just get these vouchers monthly vouchers like a ubi and can uh buy whatever you want and live in these little mall pods that's my prediction of a class of people in the future I mean, honestly, with the whole like malls as symbolic of America, I could I could definitely see that as a possible future. Like whatever whatever dystopian future we're headed towards definitely has to involve malls in some way. Yeah, like the hot topic's gonna become like a six person uh, pod bedroom, and you <laughs> you like can get Amazon sent directly. There's an Amazon plant in the mall, so you get everything you want. That's what I think's gonna happen. But uh, I don't know about you, but we've we're going over an hour. Are you ready to wrap up? Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, thanks for having or thanks for being on my show, Nick. Is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to say before you go? Um, if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, um, my handle is or my at is um, at one million horses, and one million is spelled out like the number. So one zero 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 horses, and um, that's. Got all my stuff. It's got a link to my website if anybody wants to uh, read poems or any other art-related stuff I do. Um, yeah, that's about it. That's great. Well, thanks for being on the show, Nick. Have a good rest of your afternoon, and uh, hopefully you can be back on the show someday. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good one. You too. Until next time, take care of yourself and each other. On the next Arrested Development. But if you want to get out there, get out. One thing with me, the nice part, I went through it. Now they say I'm immune. I can feel, I feel so powerful. I'll walk into that audience. I'll walk in there. I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women and them. 
every mile. I'll just give you a big fat kiss. No, but there is something nice. I don't have to be locked up in my basement, and I wouldn't allow that to happen anyway.